Welcome to another episode of Museum Weird. We're your hosts, Seth and Leah. Today we're going to be discussing museum sets and movies and the discrepancies between Hollywood portrayals of museums versus the reality that we know. Yeah. I guess we can start off by talking about our favorite movies. Leah, do you want to start with yours? Sure. Well, since I know yours, which it's kind of everyone's favorite, we'll get to that one. I guess my secondary favorite would be the National Treasure series. I remember when I was like nine years old, I went to theaters and saw the second one, not realizing it was the second one. Once it was over and the credits were rolling, I stood up and I went, wow, that was amazing. I hope they come out with a second one. (laughs) My family kind of laughed at me and they were like, that was the second one. So I just remember seeing that movie and obviously it's about American history and conspiracy, which is very enticing for a nine-year-old, but also my family liked it as well. But now watching it, I would say there's a lot of inaccuracies that we'll get into. Um, You wouldn't exactly roll up the Declaration of Independence or put lemon juice on it or anything like that. But as a kid, I was like, wow, amazing. So that was probably one of my favorites. What about you, Seth? Yeah, so my favorite museum movie is Night at the Museum, hands down. I remember my dad took me to see it in the theaters when I was just a little kid, and it was around that time that I had also started visiting museums on a more regular basis. So I was absolutely thrilled to go and see it in theaters because it really, uh, it really portrayed my interests on the big screen. For a young kid to see that, that's pretty inspiring. And now I work at a museum, and I love museums, so mm-hmm. I think that movie really was one of my form uh, was one of the formative moments in my life that led me to where I am today. Sure. And I mean, I think that that's one of the movies that stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's notable for how many inaccuracies it has, but I rewatched all three of them in prep for this. And honestly, like I was still enchanted as in that as a 22 year old. But anyway, speaking of inaccuracies, we are excited to shed some light on the realities of working in a museum and kind of talk about what Hollywood gets right, but also what they get wrong. But for today's episode, we actually have a special guest. Seth, do you want to introduce our guest? Absolutely. So today we are joined by the University of Iowa Pentecrest Museum's Director of Engagement and Education, Carolina Kaufman. Carolina has extensive knowledge of all things museums, and we are so excited to have her on today. Hi, thank you. (laughs) This is so exciting. First of all, thanks for inviting me to the show. I have been in this position just recently, actually. Mm -hmm. I got the position in August, so I'm brand new. And the first thing I noticed about working at the Pentecrest is how present the university students are here as part of the museum, working in interpretation and education, and it's just wonderful. So when I heard that uh, Museum Weird was um, coming about and they were doing all kinds of interesting episodes, I was like, yeah, I'm all for it. So I'm very excited to talk about museums as they relate to movies or museums as settings in movies. And I'll start by sharing one of my favorite movies. I'm a little older, but growing up, I always remembered Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That was a big, big hit when I was growing up. And I think what I loved about it was sort of the reflective, ethereal experience that the characters had. They were teenagers. They were in love, they're going through relations, they look at works of art. And it's actually interesting because when I looked it up a little bit more, I saw that the uh, director was really picking out specific works of art that he really loved and impacted his life and reflected it was reflected in the movie, which I I thought was really cool. But another cool reason why I liked it many years later is I ended up working at the Art Institute of Chicago. It was actually one of my first sort of real jobs after graduate school. 
I've worked at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston and interned there. I've worked at the Field Museum right after the, the, the Art Institute, where I worked for many years, actually. And the Field Museum is also known for some of their movie sets. They were actually featured in The Relic, which is a 1997 sci-fi horror film, which is actually pretty cool to watch and I'll talk about later because it's got some interesting insights as far as like how the museum is portrayed in that movie. And then at the MFA, when I was interning there way back when, there's a movie that was filmed recently in 2014 called The Forger with John Travolta. But I'm really excited about talking about museums. So those are some of my memories. And the other aspect of it is it has, again, that magical experience that you talk mm -hmm. about, that sort of, you know, aspect of wonder mm -hmm. and, and, you know, getting inspired by the exhibits to sort of imagine and go back in time. But yeah, um, there are also things about it that are, they don't quite get mm -hmm. right. So we're, we're, I'm excited to like talk about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting that you talked about Ferris Bueller because, well, I hadn't seen it until you brought it up. I mean, I know it's a cult favorite, but I just had never seen it up until recently. And the museum played a small role in it, but I think an impactful role. And it's kind of interesting to see them sort of making fun of people just standing staring at the art but then also you could see they're kind of getting invested in the museum and that's like just part of their adventure and i think a lot of movies kind of depict museums as adventure we've looked into a lot of museum-based movies for this podcast children's movies horror movies just movies such as i don't even know what you'd classify ferris bueller or national treasure kind of i guess action adventure kind of movies and a large audience that i think museum-based movies tap into is a children's audience. Hmm. It seems like a lot of the times they're trying to appeal to children, but also create content that parents are willing to watch too, which is common with a lot of kids' entertainment. Right. But like we touched on before, the first movie that comes to mind for a lot of people is Night at the Museum. I think that's a lot of people's first interaction with museums, because if you're in a small town, there's no museums around, but you're like an eight-year-old kid, you might be watching a movie like that, and that's all you really have to base your perception of museums around. Mm -hmm. So one question we want to kind of get into here is, like, how do accuracies and inaccuracies in movies like Night at the Museum help or hurt the museum? You know, is, is newfound interest always a good thing? Um, upon the release of Night at the Museum, there was, like, 50,000 more visitors, like a 20% spike over the attendance from the previous year. And people coming in asking, uh, where's Attila, where is... Just looking for the exhibits that were in the movie that actually weren't at the museum. They actually filmed in Vancouver, I believe. They had built sets up and the natural history ended up being more people than natural history in a way to incorporate actors. So that left a lot of people kind of disappointing when actually visiting the museums. So yeah, th I mean, there's obviously more inaccuracies. Seth, what are some that you noticed after now, I mean, being an adult, but also working mm -hmm. in museum settings? I think the way that museum professionals are portrayed is one big thing to talk about in, yeah. in the films such as Night at the, Mu Night at the Museum. Um, another big thing that when we talk about these museums and the impact that they have on society is the impact that they have on kids. I mean, you have kids coming into the museum so excited to see all their favorite things, right. but of course... I mean, nothing's coming to life at night, not that I know of, but yeah. how do we harness that energy that kids come into the museums with and turn it into something educational and productive? Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, that's why we have great museum educators like Carolina who can 
take that and use it to be something that museums can actually benefit from. Something tangible. Something tangible, right. But I think museum movies have that issue where they create unrealistic expectations for museums. Yeah. I think Carolina would probably have some more expertise on how curators are depicted after, I mean, seeing a wide variety of them. I've only had experience at this, our Punta Crest Museums, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, but my perception of the movie, I felt that Larry was a better depiction of what I feel like as a museum worker than the curators or the actual employees they had going through. Mm -hmm. The passion that he had and the fun that he had while still doing his job, that's more of how this job has felt to me rather than kind of snooty representations. I feel um, our any curator or director that I've approached has been very approachable and excited to teach people, excited mm -hmm. even for some tactile learning, like you talked about at previous museums you've worked at, this really hands-on approach versus um, obviously in the, I think it was the third movie, that they were talking about things going digital, or was that the second one? Things going digital. Second one, I second think, Second one, yeah. getting rid of the exhibits and just, oh, let's just, you know, go on with the tech, just go digital, basically remove the whole point of the museum from the museum. Yeah, but what do you think about how they depicted curators and just, I guess, the staff at the museums? Yeah, well, a couple different things. I mean, one, you know, Night at the Museum came out at about the time that family genre movies were getting super popular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like Pixar and all those sort of big name companies, movie companies were well established with that genre. Things like Night at the Museum come in where they're sort of, again, using storytelling and again that fascination with going back in time yeah and taking some extra liberties on how they wanted to tell the story which i think is interesting so they wanted to attract a broad audience and of course the kids would be interested in that but they also wanted to grab those parents and families to be like oh yeah you know i right. can relate to larry's experience in that job or i can relate to knowing about that aspect of history mm -hmm. and sort of getting a kick out of like the storyline with the you know with the element of comedy in there but again this these artistic liberties that that the movie producers and writers included were things like again character portrayal and relationships mm -hmm. that you see in the movie like Teddy Roosevelt and <laughs> Sakuji yeah. having a relationship which was very interesting um, but obviously not realistic and as far as in terms of museum employees, movies also t tend to take a liberty at sort of putting together a museum employee to be more than just what it should be. So, um, uh, so Larry, being a security guard um, in the second movie, does event planning all of a sudden, yeah. and he's the marketing guy, and he's the coordinator for. He's not going to be doing that in in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's transferring artifacts to London in the third. Oh line. yeah, and then like, he, yeah, he's oh, flying across to a different. That's country right. He's an art handler on top of that. Alone. So wow, yeah. he's got like four or five jobs mm -hmm. all belted into one. Yeah. And he's traveling on top of that. So the yeah. museum must have a great budget for this one security guard <laughs> uh, to, yeah. to take him out to the Smithsonian. So I think that that was really interesting. And th it's not the only movie where we see that portrayed. We see this portrayed in other, mm -hmm. in other films. But I think overall the, the fascination with Night at the Museum isn't an old one either. Mm -hmm. The whole idea again of where history comes alive and where, where you see, you know, alternating events happening, like, you know, bringing back people from many, you know, <laughs> thousands of years ago yeah. to come together and start sort of interacting is, not, again, not an old thing. And museums yeah. are, are a perfect setting for that kind of thing. 
as a museum professional, we do want people to wonder and sort of get inspired and, and think about like how history sort of makes itself and what is the relevancy. That's the other thing about um, Night at the Museum, which is interesting. Museums want to be relevant to the public mm -hmm. yeah. and movies can do that in a good way. They could sort of like, and that's what happened, right? You said that uh, I think there was yeah, 50,000 um, more people 50 came in the following weeks of after that mo first movie was released, right. just the first one. So, oh my God. Yeah. So, and this is, and again, not, that's not the only repercussion is again, the reaction of both those audiences yeah. can be great in terms of like, wow, we have all these numbers now. How do we deal with them? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it also could become a, a little overbearing. And then you have to sort of realize that museum workers and museum, um, managers have to answer these questions that you know where is that exhibit that was in the movie oh it's not yeah. it's not really here and right. so so you you get into to some of that you were they you actually were ended up doing i thought it was really interesting i think the movie i dived deepest into was night at the museum just because there's just a lot more record of kind of that how that socially had an effect but afterwards the museum actually released a document that was all of the different exhibits that they right. had depicted in the movies and it was which ones they actually had. They still have that on their website, but they had physical copies at the museum and they were just going like candy, like they were just gone yeah. because everybody just, that's what they were interested in because they, I think something that's important that we try to think about is obviously they were very invested in the characters. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to see them because they have a personal connection and mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's something we're always trying to achieve here. We have, for those of you who haven't been to our museum, we have a large three-toed sloth. We call him Rusty. He's a Megalonyx Jeffersoni. And we call him Rusty, and that's the character we've given him. Um, and we sell plush toys of him. But he's like our museum mascot. We um, call him a spoke sloth. Yeah, so <laughs> he's everyone knows who, what Rust, who Rusty is. And because we've given him that personality and we've named him, it, it draws people in. It makes him less... He's a large animal how tall mm -hmm. did he get i think it was like 12 feet 12 feet it makes him a lot more approachable to kids a right. lot less scary walking up to this large display and not being afraid because mm -hmm. oh it's rusty we talked about this so i guess trying to figure out how can we get people and kids like interested without compromising the integrity of the history we're still trying to preserve it's kind of like a fine line that's such a that's such a great point that you bring up because that is something that museums have to sort of come to term with mm -hmm. and struggle a lot of museums um and like for example the art institute they have Artie the lion and and so there are some characterizations in order to to appeal to that audience that yeah. group but yeah, in, in some cases, some movies have done so, let's sort of think of it in the opposite of the characterization of the characters and its impact on, uh, or its repercussions that are unknown until afterwards. Yeah. So for, I'll give an example. So Finding Nemo yeah. was all about this clownfish, right? Yeah. And, and, and that was the central character. Everybody sort of developed an empathy towards that character. Mm -hmm. You de develop a sort of empathy towards uh, Rusty yeah. as a sloth because of, yeah, you know the way they <laughs> the way the museum has personified it yeah. but then when after the movie came out there were you know um, there were some serious repercussions on on the populations of clownfish yeah. Yeah. and so you know while they were trying to send that message of you know let's save these animals or you know the the, the importance of the the biodiversity of of life in the, in a coral reef there's still this um, reaction that audiences um. have and and that's something that some movies could try to 
message and control, but it, it's hard to do yeah. uh, sometimes. It's kind of like all or nothing sort of thing. And museums are actually doing events where they can do movie watch parties on, mm -hmm. on movies like this and then bring actual scientists who understand this, that species or understand and can provide the right kind of information yeah, to audiences yeah. so they're not misled about a particular species or a particular character. So going back to the night at the museum, we could think about how they might personify a character like Sacagawea mm -hmm. and the sensitivities around that. Yeah. So I think there's a, there's a lot to... There's a lot of pressure on museums to, to, to figure out how they're going to respond to that. But it's a good thing, and I think we have a role. We want to stay relevant, like mm -hmm. I said. And yet we also, in, in by staying relevant, we understand that the impact to popular culture can be also a good thing. So it's sort yeah. of like a double-edged sword. Right. What yeah. do you think? You bring up so many good points. I think the overarching point of all that is that the goal of Night at the Museum was not to educate anybody. It was an entertainment film. Yeah. So anything you see in it, I mean, you're not watching a museum knowing that it's a documentary. You're knowing that it's a family film. Fiction, yeah. Right. Ellen Futter, who was the museum's president, quote, was quoted saying, um, it was always a movie about the spirit of the museum rather than yeah. the literal representation of it, which is so important to remember when you're watching these, is that this is what a museum in a fantasy looks like. This yeah. is not reality when we look at museums. It's not what you're going right. to get when you walk through the door. Mm -hmm. Everyone has that feeling when you walk into a museum, like, for the first time, of, like, just feeling enchanted. Mm -hmm. But, like, things aren't coming to life running around. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the feeling of being enchanted when you walk into a museum is the definition of museum weird. Yeah. I'm not sure everyone feels <laughs> that, but I wish they did. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess on the same vein of questioning... Does we've talked about kind of museums and what museums want to get out of it and our role in that, but does Hollywood have a responsibility to try and portray these museums accurately? I guess if so, should they be held accountable for not doing so? An example of this, I guess, would be Seth and I watched a movie called uh, One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. We couldn't even get through all of it. It was by Disney in 1975, but it was very racially charged and inaccurate in a lot of its representation of different cultures it, it was just hard to even get into honestly some it, like we looked at each other in shock um in 1975 isn't that long ago and it was a family movie a as family well movie, yep. yeah a kids mm. movie so i guess in cases like that you know it's completely surrounding a museum and this dinosaur that's part of this plot but it's just i would say more of the plot i was consumed by how grossly inaccurate it was and just yeah racially charged as mm -hmm. you said then I was with the depiction of museums it was really hard to even focus on that I mean our our boss wears a shirt that says what is it? it's like mu museums, museums are not neutral museums are not neutral so obviously social issues are really important to us because we're constantly reflecting on history and how we can improve from our mm -hmm. past mm -hmm. so watching a movie like that that is so grossly inaccurate but also based in a museum and mm, I guess I just felt like the museum was taking up that opinion how do you right it is grossly that? inaccurate of how they describe the people but you also have to think about where museums were yeah 50 yeah. years ago yeah. I mean the portrayal of people in museums has always been controversial controversial um, especially regarding like marginalized groups in our society museums have not always portrayed that fairly or accurately and that is one thing that museum professionals today have um, the responsibility of 
making correct, making right, and fixing. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and reaching out to the communities, which it concerns, rather than deciding for them. I think that's something that's more nuanced, and we're, and at our museum, we're definitely concerned with trying to reach out to the indigenous people that we are talking about in our displays. Mm-hmm. It's not our place to decide, is this the right way to display this? Is this, can we, you know, it's, there's a lot of yeah. questions surrounding that, but it's I'm, just kind of a hot topic. Yeah, I, I like hearing what you're saying, Leah, because, you know, while museums have always been about learning more about the past, you know, thinking about innovation and progress, and community to a very certain extent, and like you said, Seth, this is something that museums are reckoning with mm-hmm. and have been. And uh, I'm I'm actually Latina and consider myself a minority. And and to see myself in the museum at times were hard, is hard to find. Yep. Yeah. And then also, what kinds of inclusive conversations can happen with museum objects that don't make somebody feel either not part of that narrative or not acceptable as as Mm -hmm. part of that narrative or opinion. And so I think museums are starting to really, they have to (laughs) think about like, what should that narrative look like and how Mm -hmm. do we portray that? And interestingly, this is a really great segue to a movie that that did start doing that a little bit. um, And that's Black Panther. Mm -hmm. And the Black Panther, if you recall, Killmonger, the character is going in to sort of get some objects from the African collection that are uh, in supposedly the uh, British Museum or or L- Museum London, uh, but it actually was the High Museum, uh, High Museum in in Atlanta. Um, but there were two things that were really interesting to me in terms of thinking about sort of museum politics and race and inequity. One, he's talking to a white curator. And she's actually holding a, a coffee cup, which curators wouldn't do. So a little yeah. bit on the roll was wrong there, where a white curator would come in, yeah, just have a coffee cup in front of an object. But but more seriously, um, he really sort of points out sort of the, the the repatriation, the issue of repatriation, and that these objects were not theirs to to, to begin with. And she sort of shrugs it off, and so she she portrays some aspect of of sort of the the problem with that museums have had. And then the other part of that scene that most people actually might not have noticed is Killmonger's sort of henchwoman that's with him. Um, She she may be of a different descent, uh, you know, I don't want to say exactly who, but she and the other guy who's ready to do the heist with them are both, you know, they're both in the service working sort of industry and you see sort of like that she's sort of represented um, in the service industry where, uh, of the museum where are pre- predominantly minorities. And then you had the white curators. So the, the movie does, I think, does better to, to get at that issue. While it's a very short scene, brings out the politics that museums are talking about and, and figuring out. So I think that uh, compared to the dinosaur movie, from the 19, was it 1975? <laughs> it's, you know, way, you know, way, mm-hmm. way, way ahead of, of, of where that was. So I think, yeah, you're right. I think depending on the time that, say, a movie was made and how museums are portrayed or how culture is portrayed, mm-hmm. it's changed over time. And Night at the Museum isn't perfect. The first thing that I really noticed in Night at the Museum that I was pretty happy about was the casting of the roles that they did a lot of the casting that or most of the casting that they are yeah. say all of it was done 
correctly. Like Rami Malek, who plays an Egyptian pharaoh, is of Egyptian descent, sure. which casting roles like that is extremely important in uh, movies. I think yeah. Night Museum came out in 2006, and that start, that's a conversation that we're still having today is yeah. casting the correct people for the co- correct roles based on race, sex, or, yeah, all of that. And that is one thing that Night at the Museum does pretty well. Hmm. I'm not saying that the characters are necessarily portrayed correctly, but um, in terms of the casting, I was impressed to see that. Well, the third film and the final film of that series came out, I believe, in 2014. Mm -hmm. And you can, I was talking with Carolina about this recently, that you can tell they definitely made more of an effort to discuss different cultures and how, I believe it was the Pharaoh was talking to Larry about oh, I love Jewish people. We had how many (laughs) thousands of them? They're so nice. They were so happy. And Larry, who is playing a Jewish character, says, "Uh, no, they weren't. Um, We actually actually talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. We um, have dinners discussing how that was actually really traumatic and they they weren't happy. Right. So they Mm. kind of added a commentary that they didn't have before, I think, which is really important and even Black Panther maintains because we lose a lot of, not only historical value, but, like, cultural conversation when we dumb characters or artifacts down, yep. which I know is a good thing in some ways to make them more approachable to kids, but mm-hmm. we, are cut, we aren't even giving them the opportunity to be exposed to those types of conversations when we dumb them down farther than I think do kids justice, because I think kids are a lot smarter than a lot of movies give them credit for, and I was really impressed with, at least in that third one, that they decided to bring some of those conversations up, even just loosely, in passing, mm-hmm. because it's something I think that needs to be... It opens the conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it needs to open that conversation. I think it's worse to breeze by it and, like you said, even have some inaccurate mm-hmm. representations and just put that out there and just be fine with putting that out there in the atmosphere right. because kids absorb and will learn from that mm. and observe that. And mm-hmm. That's right. We want to make sure we're putting the right information out there even our museums focus a lot on that yeah and when we develop programming in museums we always talk about starting a conversation Mm -hmm. with the visitors and I mean I'm a big believer that every museum visitor has a story to tell too so how do we open that up how do we start having those conversations and yeah I think Night at the Museum does that well Mm -hmm. I guess since we mentioned the coffee mug (laughs) one thing that's pretty fun to talk about especially as people working at museums um, that I wouldn't really think about if I weren't hadn't ever had that opportunity is the protocols for handling artifacts and um, if we've had experience with that and how they do that in movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, rolling yeah. up the... The Declaration of Independence. Yeah, absolutely. So when I started my career in museums, I started as a collections volunteer working with our collections of birds. And I always found it nerve-wracking to pick up anything that's... I mean, a huge number of our birds are like over 100 years old. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, there's every safety precaution taken when you're handling it. So to see people be so flippant when handling artifacts in these movies was very eye-opening yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it is yeah. never anything <laughs> yeah, that you would actually do um, in a real museum. No. I was talking to Seth recently about when, when Nicolas Cage flips the declaration and on the back he's about to squeeze a lemon directly on it. <laughs> I recoiled in my seat so far back I oh, couldn't well. believe it. I think... I don't know if you'd have that reaction if you hadn't recognized the delicacy of it. I, I think because mm-hmm. we just get so enchanted by the movie, enchanted by the movie. But I, I haven't even had the most experience with collections personally here. And, but there's just things you pick up on, and that is 
Oh, you would not catch me Mm-mm. breathing on the Declaration of Independence, let alone yeah. squeezing a lemon directly on it. I wonder if we're saying that because we know what it's like to work in the museum. Right. We understand yeah, the, sort of the, the value or the, the, the importance of conservation yeah. and a lot, a lot of these objects. I felt the same way in Night at the Museum. It wasn't a real artifact, but it was, it was, it was, it bothered me at the, I think it was at the beginning of the credits where they're packing all the works or the objects to go to the Smithsonian. And there's one particular scene that I couldn't stand. (laughs) (laughs) And it was when they were packing the little soldiers, Octavius's soldiers, and they were sort of just tossing them in there. Like there was maybe some either foam or or it was like the paper strips some paper strips but they were just sort of like well let's just play basketball with these objects and put them in there and and they you know they wanted to sort of create maybe a sense of like you know a slow-mo sort of view Mm -hmm. of you know what these objects you know that these objects were going somewhere but but that's something that art handlers would never ever do so there's you see that a lot i will mention uh, there's a really interesting scene of Wonder Woman mm-hmm. who, it, you know, um, with her background being an Amazon, she's actually, she portrays herself as, as sort of a conservator in one mm-hmm. scene. And as she conserves this particular sculpture, she has this big, giant, shiny metal yeah. bracelet on her. And she's, you know, trying to restore this object. but A priceless you know, artifact. priceless yeah. artifact <laughs> with a big, you know, yeah, that's something that, you know, they would never have. So there are there are scenes like that which kind of make me laugh but kind of make me cringe. One other thing about museums is that they're so much more than collections. I mean, yeah. I could sit here and I could talk about collections all day, but what goes on behind the scenes and the real things that museum professionals do are rarely seen on, sca- yeah. or on yeah. screen because, I mean, a collection can make such a good plot point, but a museum is so much more than that. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, too. A class came in for a private tour and... They had asked our boss, what percentage of your collection is actually out for display? And I don't remember exact percentage that the exact percentage she said, but I'm pretty sure it was less than 25. Mm-hmm. She, it's a, it's a small oh. percentage. Oh, the, it's actually what the, uh, the percentage yeah, of, of, of objects on view yeah. versus what, uh, anywhere between one to 4%, actually. Some, yeah, some museums, so 10%, but really we're looking at about 4%. And I've seen the Art Institute is huge. They got... They've yeah. got many floors um, below <laughs> the Which gallery is so space cool. that are all yeah that are mm-hmm. all for storage. The Field Museum as well. I think the Field Museum. I want to say, and uh, if you're listening, any Field Museum staff that mm-hmm. have worked there, I want to say um, at least five to seven floors underground. Wow. Um, and wow. they actually have specific collections that need to be underground because for if they were up in the surface, like our fish collections are down. Because it's a it's a good place to pre- sort of preserve sure. those mm-hmm. those types of collections. That's so cool. Yeah, I just think that's so fascinating because you think of, I mean, I think of my favorite exhibits at different museums and all the amazing paintings and and artifacts that I've I've seen. Even our own museum here, you think you've seen it all, but really, Mm-mm. museums hold so much collection. I had no idea. I've been here what almost two years and I just found that out that we have <laughs> like the actual like numerical amount of like yeah. mm-hmm. the difference was even still shocking to me so I think yeah. that's something obviously that's not depicted in any of the movies and is really yeah. just intriguing I think that's so like enchanting in and of itself to think of when you're in a huge museum that takes you a whole day to look through yeah. you have only cracked the surface of yeah. how much that we really have so it's so true and 
I think, you know, another way to think about some of these museums and even some of these like larger institutions like the yeah. Smithsonian can seem like an overwhelming thing when yeah. you go. When I was working at the Art Institute, it was actually um, encouraged by educators to slow down and just try to focus on a few objects on your visit or yeah. maybe one or two galleries on your visit. And, mm -hmm. and that, so a little tip to the audience is if you go to the museum, don't try to see everything. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it can get overwhelming. Go through the museum in a way that's comfortable, that, uh, that is fun, that is relevant, that makes it interesting, so that, that they don't have to, again, tour that whole thing, mm -hmm. but they can come back and try something else and try yeah. something new, and it's always then a new experience. Making museums approachable to more than one audience mm -hmm. and, and some people who may get more overwhelmed or, or have different needs than um, the neurotypical person might. A lot of museums, too, have... You can not only find a lot of their exhibits online, and it will say if they're in display or in storage. Um, when I went to MoMA, they mm. I was looking for some Roy Lichtenstein, of course, and a lot <laughs> of them were either um, out on loan or in storage, but they listed that on their website, actually. Mm -hmm. So I knew what to look out for and what what was in the museum, because it's such a huge museum, mm -hmm. and it made my visit a lot more enjoyable, because mm. I kind of had a plan. But yeah, again, yeah, there's a lot of it. social narratives that museums are publishing and just documentation of exactly what to expect, even not just from the exhibits themselves, but the museum. Go going into the museum and buying your tickets, going in just step by step of what to expect so that all audiences are included. Mm -hmm. And that's something we're working on even here with the extra time we have because of COVID. How can we make things approachable? And obviously that's not something depicted in movies because... Again, entertainment, not education, I think, yeah. is mm. a lot of the purpose. Yeah. Bringing it back to the movies, Caroline, would you like to talk about how you saw museum professionals a little bit more depicted? Like, what was your overall idea of, like, do you think that they were portrayed fairly in the museum, like museum employees? Yes and no. I mean, again, like I said, I think Black Panther attempts to sort of get at the politics of museums mm -hmm. and how, say, curators are portrayed. They're not all like that. I mean, if when you think about museums, there's so many different kinds of people that have many, many different roles, and movies only portray, uh, like, 1% of right. those roles. Yeah. And they, the movies don't do justice to, to like, say, curator roles combined mm -hmm. with event people, combined with marketing and, and communication folks. And, and so I, I think it's... It, it's a it's a small lens, yeah, um, and it has a way to go. At the same time, there are some interesting films that get at the feeling and the kinds of conversations that museum educators would like to see people have. I mean, for the most part, it's pretty generalized. They're getting at it more, and I wonder, you know, it makes me wonder, like, what will the future of museums yeah. look like right. being portrayed in in movies or objects as central to a movie theme. We, we just have to <laughs> wait and tell. Until then, you know, museums are really trying hard to stay relevant on a virtual, because of the pandemic, yeah. on a virtual level and using technology to access those collections and to still have room for, again, the kinds of conversations that people could be part of. I mean, there's just so much to There's a lot to tackle, to. too. I you think know? there's a lot you can look at, too, as yeah. somebody who 
because the majority of the population hasn't worked at museums. Like, there's a lot you can look at if you just kind of look at it through that lens of, hmm, is that yeah. accurate? Like, Night at the Museum, they walk through where glass panels should be. Like, the exhibits are just, you can just reach <laughs> in Open there, air. you can yep. just walk in there. But, no. <laughs> Anyone right. who's even been to a museum, or I think just logically, like, right. you're not going to walk into a museum of priceless artifacts or display. Yeah. So, even stuff like that, it's kind of comical and watching it is kind of weird or like in National Treasure when they're kind of going down the pit I don't know what it, you would call it underneath the church mm-hmm. and he throws the declaration just throws it onto the stairwell while he's trying to like get his balance and stuff stuff yeah. like that e- even watching that anyone would, could watch that and be like huh so I think movies depicting museums have a long way to go from where they're at but at the same time I, I do think a lot of the inaccuracies aren't really as noticeable from the naked eye. Right. Right. And as a museum professional, I mean, I like seeing that, you know, wow, you know, I was there, I worked there. You know, you feel a sense of pride a little bit that that they're being sort of featured and highlighted in in the mainstream, right? And yeah, there's definitely inaccuracies and some of them are really bad and some of them are, you know, just silly. Yeah. But that's okay. That's a movie. The movie is there for the you to be entertained and yeah. for the more serious movies um, there's some fascinating insight into what museum and people that are characterized whether they be a conservator an archaeologist a scientist a researcher there's room for anybody to become a museum worker if they want to yeah mm-hmm. museums are one of the few places left where I think there's just community whether or not you work at one or not we could go all day long yeah, talking exactly. about identity <laughs> politics and <laughs> yeah. you know how to how to how people can view themselves in the museum or what an object can say about yourself is yeah. is, a, is another is another conversation mm-hmm. um, that make a great podcast episode yeah, that could make a great podcast episode ultimately I think as much as there's inaccuracies in movies the the enchanting and magical aspect of Museums is one thing that almost every movie's gotten right, and you're never going to be disappointed when you go to a museum. Right. If it's not, okay, so Attila the Hun isn't in that museum. But I guarantee you, you're going to learn something or see a display that just is is even cooler. Truly, Mm -hmm. it is about the spirit of museums, and I think that's what most movies are trying to get at and most accurately do. We kind of didn't touch on it this time because we're hoping to talk about it in the future, but kind of the fascination and the correlation between museums and theft um, mm-hmm. in reality or in movies and media. So I guess we can conclude there and kind of tell them where to find us, where to check out our information. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the podcast again. A huge thank you to Carolina for taking time out to talk about Museum Weird and being Museum Weird and working in museums. <laughs> if you'd like to keep up with the podcast, follow our museum's Instagram at pentacrest.museums, mm-hmm. where we will be posting updates about future episodes. Leah, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Yeah, I just want to thank Carolina as well, and thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you learned something and we're excited about some of the things we talked about. Make sure that you stay tuned for our next episode. Like I said, we're going to talk about sensationalized topics of thievery within our society and kind of that fascination. Carolina, do you have any do you have any plugs before you go? Oh, Anything going man. on that you want to um, share? Stay connected. You know, we're all sort of in our own little silos, and mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us are staying home as as cases go up. 
and museums are doing their very best to respond to that and be accessible yeah. in many different ways. We're trying to do that. We're looking forward to you know some spring planning here at home in the Pentecost yep. with a variety of programming that you know audiences can tune in. And the other thing I should say is museums are also really sort of stretching out to be accessible through different formats so yep. for example game gaming is one way that museums are getting interested I, I mentioned watch parties is another yeah. virtual hangouts lectures there's so many different ways so for those that are listening want to stay in tune with their with their museum you know look up to see what's going on the website give a call if you if you want as well but the website will probably have the most information Absolutely. Perfect. Additionally, in the notes of the show, we'll leave a list of good museum movies that we recommend everybody watching. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. So thank you That's for listening in. We will see you soon. Stay museum weird.